This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That's the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Back after a, a few weeks off. Apologies for that. Uh, hopefully we won't be missing any time going forward. Uh, but we return with something to actually talk about some some news to talk about jesse as we got a chance to chat with the new assistant coaches for wisconsin earlier today aj blazik the new off the line coach kenny guyton the new wide receivers coach and alex grinch the new safeties and co-defensive coordinator had a chance to chat with all three of them earlier today so we'll get into what they they all had to say, I know you probably wrote something off of it, or I know you wrote something off of it. Uh, really talking about probably Alex Grinch, I assume. Is that accurate? That would be that would be correct, mostly all because right. you know this already. Oh, okay, all right. Well, <laughs> I was I was like trying trying to make it seem like I guessed, um, but uh, yes, of course, I know who you wrote about. Wrote about Alex Grinch, the former USC defense coordinator, the former Oklahoma defensive coordinator, and I thought it was you know he was he was an interesting guy to listen to and to talk to. Uh, a lot of it was about his background and kind of how he ended up here. And I, I know that there are a lot of people that were not overly pleased with the hire because of some of the struggles that he had at USC. And I think he kind of made the point that, you know, just like you aren't the person you are when you're have an elite defense, you're also not the person necessarily when you don't have a, a great defense either. Like they, they, you have to take into the consideration, the entirety of a coaching resume and, I think when you look at his resume overall, it's it's pretty darn good, and it just hasn't been great the last few years. But I assume that was some of what you went into, but also what he's kind of walking into and what kind of defense uh, and what his role is going to be along with, obviously, Mike Tressel. That's exactly right, Zach, because my biggest takeaway was the way he wanted to make sure and say that what happened at his last stop doesn't define him. He's got a 21-year coaching track record, and it's probably worth noting to the Badgers fans who were maybe up in arms about the hire. Uh, maybe it's just a, a small minority there because overall, I think it's a really good hire based on what you're asking him to do. But he did talk about this. He called it a chip on your shoulder. And he said, I'm not sure there'd be anyone in the country with a bigger chip than what I have. And what he was referencing in part was he can have a lot of success and he said, somehow, sometimes when you don't have success, then that becomes circled as if that's the only season that you've ever coached. And I thought that was a fair point. Um, you know, he didn't go into any detail and not that he was pressed on it about what exactly happened at USC. But I think he was more looking at it of here is the totality of my resume and my career and what I've done. And he doesn't have to say this, but he's been a semifinalist for the Broyles Award twice, which goes to the best assistant coach in college football. And he did that at two different schools. And he even talked about how He's the kind of guy who likes a challenge where the three places he went and he was the defensive coordinator, he inherited what he called three of the worst defenses in the country before he arrived. Hard to dispute that, especially the the first, well, really all of them, but I mean, Washington State was not a good defense. And by the, by the time he left, they were one of the better units in the country and Oklahoma got better and, and USC didn't. And he had two seasons there. So um, that is kind of the, the big message that he had. But I do think that 
it is a really good hire. And I did ask about like specifically, what does this mean? Co-defensive coordinator. We didn't get anything in terms of specifics. <laughs> he said that his, his, his job will be to support the other members of the coaching staff, including Mike Tressel in any way that he can. I don't know what that looks like from the safety side though. I think we did at least learn a little bit. Now he's got clearly a ton of experience coaching that position. He inherits a group that's got Hunter Waller, Kamoe Latu, Preston Zachman, Austin Brown. And so I think that there's an opportunity here for him to help mold that unit into one of the most reliable on the team. And also he's clearly motivated to show that how his tenure ended at USC is not a, an overall indication of what his capabilities are as a coach. Yes, I think there's a big difference between being the play caller and um, and, and calling a defense as opposed to coaching a position. And yes. I'm not saying that he's not going to have a role in building the game plan. Certainly all the coaches do. Um, but on game day, a lot of pressure goes to the person who's actually calling the defense. And that's why Mike Tressel and you know Jim Leonard and, and uh, Wilcox and Aranda, they all like they're the ones that everyone focuses on on a on a game to game basis because they're the ones that are making the calls. He has it's such a bigger role like it's it's not just the play calling on game day. There's so much more that goes into it uh for a defensive coordinator, but also for a safeties coach what he's able to deliver in the ex- the experience that he has coaching that position and and coaching some really good players along the way. He inherits you would I think you can make the argument the most experienced if not I mean, it's one of, if not the most experienced groups on the team, right? I mean, you get Wohler back, you get who's a, a multi-year starter, you get Latu who's back over the last, what, two seasons, played a lot of football. Preston Zachman played a lot of football. And, and Austin Brown, th- those four I, combined to give you a really, really good room and one that's experienced, and now it's kind of like, how can he help them uh, become even better? I think it's, I think it's a really solid hire considering the room and some of the things that you know, he's been good at in his past and not necessarily the actual play calling on, on game day. Yeah. That's my takeaway too. Um, like for anybody who was worried about the hire and, and obviously of the ones that Luke fickle made, and he's been busy, busier this off season than probably what he would have wanted. But the one, the hiring of Grinch was the one that raised the most eyebrows again, just because of what happened at the end at USC. But to me, this feels like a, a really great situation that he gets to walk into. For sure. For sure. Um, so the other two, obviously, that we got to talk to were on the offensive side of the ball. And A.J. Blazek was obviously the guy that uh, kind of brought some energy to the room. He is a energetic guy. We heard actually heard that from Kenny Guyton as well. He's a guy that, if he walks in the room, starts you know cracking some jokes. He turns some energy uh, around. Like, you can be an energy vampire, or you can you know give people energy like positive energy and he's definitely on on that side of it i'm intrigued i'm intrigued by the hire just because he has been a number of different places but this is clearly in in terms of actually coaching at a high level and i know vandy's in the sec i get that this is a step up this is a step up especially in terms of the history of the position at wisconsin and some of the you know lack of consistency we've seen here in the last few years but I, i really am interested to see how he can situate himself into this program as the fourth different offensive line coach in as many years. Yeah. It's easy to see. I think why players would want to play for him just because of his demeanor. And I don't want to overrate the idea of winning the press conference because who cares, go and go and coach on the field and go and prove it. But 
you can tell how excited he is to be here, which is at least a start, and how much he values what it means to coach here. So I think those are important. And he does have some good pieces to rely on here. Guys like Jack Nelson, Riley Malman, Jake Renfro, veteran guys who have playing experience. But, it, he, I mean, you know, we talk about him, and I asked him about what, being the fourth offensive line coach in four seasons. He's also coaching a bunch of dudes who haven't been around for all those changes. Um, now they have certainly the transition to the new offense, the reassigning of Jack Bicknell Jr., but he's got an opportunity here, I think, to put his own imprint and his own stamp on it. I'll be curious to see what exactly it looks like in terms of the the coaching principles that he wants to implement. And I know you and I have talked on previous shows, Zach, about how much different can the offensive line play be when they're still going to be asked to play the same system under Phil Longo. But more consistency is important. And um, I mean, I thought one of the more interesting responses that he gave was just his philosophy for how he sees using guys. And obviously he wants a top five, but he wants to have a six, a seven and an eight ready. And um, we'll start some of those younger guys. It sounds to me like he's open to the idea of having players play multiple positions, but is not going to force it on somebody like the young guys are going to start at one position. You learn that position really well. And if you happen to like playing on the right side or you're able to play guard and tackle on the right side, then he'll figure that out. But I, I, I was impressed by listening to him speak and the uh, excitement level that he's bringing. I'm trying to think of a guy who won the press conference but was horrible. I'm sure there probably have been uh, at Wisconsin, um, and probably and probably the reverse as well. Like we're really bad in the press conference and turned out to be a pretty good coach. Um, that would be a fun I mean, show, ranking the all of the our all time least favorite assistant coaches that we've <laughs> talked to. I guess we could only reveal that in the hopes of never having to talk to those guys for any reason again. Uh, well, I mean, you would obviously <laughs> never, you would obviously never do that. I would, uh, I would have no problem doing it among the coaches that are not, that are no longer here. And you know, it's obviously tough to, to learn a lot about the assistant coaches that are here. Cause you rarely get to talk to them. Um, yeah, I was thinking that honestly, when I was driving back, I was like, ah, maybe I shouldn't say this, but who cares? Like how many times am I going to talk to this guy <laughs> in the, in the, in the next 365 days? And my thought was four, maybe, um, unless obviously something changes with how often we can talk to assistants during the season. But I digress. Yes. Uh, no, I think that that'd be like a, a guy who was not very good in the press conference. Obviously, the one right out there in front is Paul Christ, and he turned. He was obviously a pretty good coach. And my understanding was, he, even when he was an assistant, and you and obviously you were here in 2011, it's not like he was much better as as an assistant than he was as a head coach just in terms of talk, but he was the, those talks more so often happened off a of camera as opposed to in front of a whole bunch of cameras. And when he is off camera, he's just, a, just much more loose and uh, a much different um, type of guy. But like Andy Ludwig was, was a horrible press conference guy. And he, he was, I mean, he led a couple of offenses over in terms of long-term Wisconsin uh, pretty good. And he's gone on to, to lead Utah to some pretty good offenses as well. But like, yeah, but that, that'd be a fun conversation at some point, but in terms of AJ Blazik, how, I mean, how do you envision him wanting to, to work these guys? It is like he mentioned this, right? He said, there are some guys that are comfortable going left tackle and right tackle. There are some guys that are in their mind that can play left tackle, left guard. It's no, it's no big deal. But if you try to put them on the right side, it just doesn't work in their mind, like having to make it have a different, a set. But I, I look at what he's got in that room, and he's—I he, think he's got a challenge on his hands. He's obviously got Jack 
Nelson back. He's got Riley Mullen back. He's got Jake Renfro. But as he said, he's got some windows to to fill there behind them. And, and the young guys, we'll see how it plays out. But there's uh, there's a lot of youth in that room and a lot of and, and not a ton of experience outside of that top three. Right. Joe Huber, I forgot. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But basically, it's those four and then a bunch of guys who are unproven, um, almost entirely unproven. And so I, I do wonder, maybe this is a good time for somebody to step in and establish themselves in that way. But it will be interesting to see exactly what it looks like, because you're going to have to play some of those guys, whether it's Joe Brenner, who I know we're both pretty high on. Can he earn a starting spot, JP Benchwall, and then a bunch of guys like Barrett Nelson didn't play very much. James Duran, who did not play at all in his true freshman season. And that you've got the five freshmen who are coming in, two of whom are early enrollees, Kevin Haywood and Ryan Corey. And then the other three, obviously Emerson Mandel, Derek Jensen and Colin Coverley. So um, it's sort of a last year was definitely a transition for the offensive line because of the offense being completely different. But this year, even more so really because of just the the number of young guys and how you're going to figure out who plays where. But I, I, I like Blazek. I know I told, I told this story on Temple and Heilprin, but in case anybody doesn't listen to that, but listens to the camp. Um, I had a conversation not too long ago with Kevin Haywood's stepdad and Kevin and Ryan Corey, both actually were being recruited by AJ Blazek at Vanderbilt and Haywood and his family were just so impressed with Blazek. And yes, it was the energy, but it was also his willingness to teach when he would watch film with Haywood and tell him what he was doing wrong, but do it in a way that felt constructive and made him feel good about it. Um, and they said, this is what his stepdad said, like basically if Blazek was somewhere else and not at Vanderbilt, they would have considered it because they wanted to go play for him. But of course, when you're a four-star guy like Haywood and you can go anywhere, you don't usually end up at Vanderbilt. You come to a place like Wisconsin. So I thought that was really telling at least of the kind of coach and person that Blazek seems to be and why I think people who played for him at Vanderbilt enjoyed it. And then the other guy that they introduced today was Kenny Guyton, former Ohio State quarterback, who's been uh, on the come up as a wide receivers coach most recently at Arkansas. And uh, he was... Uh, he was pretty entertaining as well in terms of like his his energy and and what is around him. He also has uh, obviously a ton of experience with Luke Fickle and having you know known him since he was seventeen. He's now thirty two. He's he's known him for you know fifteen or so years, and now having an opportunity to work for him. I like again. I like the upside of the hire. I like the upside of the hire. It is a young guy who's who's got a lot of fire and a lot of and probably has very high, I don't want to say hopes, but has high expectations for himself and where he can take his coaching career. And I kind of love that idea of a guy coming up and and getting him at this point. Yeah. And much like a lot of these other positions, we're talking about a lot of turnover there. There's these, I guess there's not many wide receivers who've been there for three seasons, but there are a few, this is their third wide receivers coach in as many seasons. And um, I'm, eager to see what he can do with that group. Because again, it's, it's largely guys who were here last season and he was asked about the wide receiver group. He talked about trying to get more out of guys on the outside. And I think they do have the personnel to be able to do that. It's just a matter of being able to do it at a consistent level. And so obviously he's going to be key to, to molding that group, but also shaping how effective this offense can be. And I, was it you that tried to get some names out of them? I did. 
<laughs> well, you might as well ask, even if uh, these guys have been around these guys for a month. Uh, who exactly would you say? Because he, I think, on the what did he say? A couple, he said a couple different times that he Potential. felt this. Yeah, the, the, he had they had the pieces in the room. Um, but, you know, these introductory news conferences, and it was the same way last year, are not, uh, they're more about, I think, learning about who the assistant actually is than learning about the pieces he has to work with because they, sure. they don't really know. They haven't had a practice with them. So I guess I'll run that question back in spring ball and potentially fall camp. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But I, he was asked about leadership in the room, right? With, with Jim Murray DK moving on a guy who is clearly a leader there. Um, you know, they do have a whole a vacancy of that, but I think Will Pauling and he mentioned him is the obvious guy just because of his production, but also he, he's a fun it appears from the outside, having not spent a ton of time around him, but it appears he's a fun guy to be around too. Um, you know, just based on some of the videos that UW put out during during Bowl Week, and he's he's always dancing. It's, it feels like it's always him and Quincy Burroughs and Ricardo Hallman. Like those are some of the guys that uh, certainly have some have some juice. But Will, because of what he did, certainly is at the top of that list. But he also mentioned Bryson Green. He mentioned uh, C.J. Williams, and C.J. kind of being more of a actions type of guy and then he also talked about hakan anderson who's a guy who obviously not a lot of people uh think about when they think about that wide receiver room uh a, a walk-on who has been around for quite some time um kind of could take you would think maybe like take it like marty stray stray role a guy who's not out there on saturdays a ton but plays on special teams and can have a role uh, as a leader in, in different ways so those were a, a little bit of what we heard from those uh, those three guys today. Uh, Luke Fickle uh, has not talked or did had not talked to the media since the bowl game, uh, since his post game press conference, and uh, he went on Madison Radio on Wednesday uh, with William Tausch and uh, was asked a couple of questions and uh, a couple of things stood out. We'll, we'll start with the one that's that's actually on the field, and that is uh, Chesman Lucy. While he is coming along nicely, probably not going to have a huge load, a workload, I should say, come spring when they when they hit the field yeah that was i mean basically paraphrased it but the, he said that chez quote won't get a big load if any load in the spring now chez suffered that broken left leg way back in september against purdue it, i think obviously if he had to play it would seem that he'd certainly be capable of playing since spring ball is what six plus months removed from that injury but He's also going to be a six-year senior. They know what they have in him, and so part of it is probably why risk anything and just give him as much time as he can to to be fresh and get ready for summer workouts. But what this does do is put a lot of different players in positions that they certainly haven't been in, including guys who hadn't been with the program because Fickle said Oklahoma transferred to Wee Walker and freshman early enrollee Gideon Atuka would earn carries this spring. And then... Fickle also mentioned by name Jackson Aker and Cade Yacomelli. Didn't maybe it was just a slip, or maybe he forgot. Didn't didn't hear Nate White's name, but either way, Aker and Yacomelli were certainly above him on the depth chart. So I think it's going to be really interesting this spring. And Fickle said that's going to be a little bit more of a longer process to figure out before game one in terms of what the pecking order is, and n not so much I don't think who the top guy is. I, I and maybe you disagree. I I think Ches will be that guy, but. Fickle did also say that the, the two freshmen coming in, Darian Dupree and Dylan Jones, neither of whom arrive on campus until the summer, will also play a role in determining what that pecking order looks like. So do you go two deep? Do you go three deep? 
We know how talented they are. So it's going to be very different uh, this spring in terms of what the workload is and who the guys even are that are getting the carries. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised that Chess is going to have, have a big role this spring. He didn't really have a big role last spring either. More so, how much do you need, right? Like if you're if you're that age, you've you've spent that much time, yeah, at Wisconsin. And again, it's a new offense, right? I get that. So you need a little, you need some, you need some. So this it was the same way with Braylon, but it was it was kind of limited. It wasn't something where you're going to throw him out there and, and give him the ball a ton of times. Uh, the one guy, yeah, you said that he didn't mention was Nate White, but he showed up. He showed up uh, earlier this week when. Brady Collins did his very eye-opening tweets about top sprint speeds for for players, and on a list of what almost I'm guessing like 15 names, Nate White had the third fastest time. He went he he went or I should say third fastest running speed. He was at 20.13 miles per hour, and these are uh, top 20 yard sprint speeds. That's some athleticism. I got some I got some messages. People people say he needs to be on the field. Now, again, when we saw him last fall, he always has had that athletic ability. It's not that he didn't. Uh, it's not that he didn't have this. We knew that he was. It was, but the fact that he wasn't even mentioned is a little bit of a. I'm not going to say a concern by any stretch, but a, a little, a little bit uh, surprising that he can't even get a mention among running backs that could have a role this spring. Yeah, maybe it was just a a slip. slip. I'm not sure, um, but. I would. I mean, obviously, I, I would have followed up on that, of course, but <laughs> I wasn't the one doing the interview. So I, I try not to sigh when you're going over the uh, the speed charts. Um, there was a lot of kind of fun. There's a lot of there was a lot of tongue in cheek there when I was. Talking I know about how very you know important I, and and uh, yeah. You and I know yeah. each other well. It's it goes unsaid here, even though when people are listening, like, and I I know I mentioned this when we uh, convened before the uh, the assistant coaching, but. You know, last year there was so much excitement about everything that anytime there was a new graphic about the speed or the workouts, people would kind of go crazy and just everything feels a little bit more tempered. Oh, you ran 20 miles an hour. I mean, obviously I can't do that. And most humans on the planet can't do that. But that does not equate to this guy should be the number two running back and give him all the carries. It's going to be determined on the field. But specifically with regards to Nate White, certainly has a ton of talent. We knew he had to gain weight, liked what he did in the very few opportunities we got to see him back in fall camp um but this running back room when everybody is there and and when preseason practice starts it's gonna be it's probably and i know we're not at this point yet but if i'm just looking at all the position groups and what i'm most interested to see and how things shake out i'd probably have to put that at the top just because of uh the young talent and and whether that can mesh quick enough to actually contribute Certainly not out of the realm of possibility this season. No, it's not. But you mentioned uh, stuff being at the top of your list. Well, you know who was at the top of that list? Tretch Kekahuna, Tretch baby. Kekahuna. Guy who didn't look like a D1 athlete walking into the stadium down in Tampa, according to somebody that tweeted at me. That dude. That dude. And I, I'm not surprised that he ran like that. He's he's a ridiculous athlete. Him and, him and Will Pauling both. And then you put on, you know, Quincy Burroughs, a guy that's going to be on the outside, over 20. Your boy, Tommy McIntosh, uh, over 20. So, like, there, there, is some, there is some speed. The one that, a little bit of surprise, C.J. Williams at 19.7. I don't know that we saw that on the field. You know, him and Bryson right about the same. And then, obviously, uh, Nick Evers showing up in there and probably 
uh, a lot of people yelling that's why he should be getting a package at some point in this offense but uh we'll see we'll see and then having a 6-3 cornerback running 19 is is also impressive Amari Stone uh, out there as well again those numbers mean very little when it comes to actually winning football games but it is what it is the other thing that Fickle talked about that has drawn some notes and news and people are uh interested about it Mike Vrabel a guy who you know it was hilarious uh during Fickle's post-game press conference, or maybe it was, it, uh, it might have been that that press conference. It might have been his recruiting. I don't, I can't remember exactly what it was, but he was talking about how his, when he's talking about Tanner Mordecai and what he meant and what he's done for this school. And he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I get a hold of my friend and he's going to have a place in this league. Well, his friend he was talking about was Mike Vrabel. And at the time, Mike Vrabel was the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. Mike Vrabel is no longer the head coach of the Tennessee Titans, and he has not gotten another head coaching job. All those jobs are now filled. He does not have a job, but he is a obviously a very talented coach, and, and Fickle made it sound like he is going to be around the program potentially this spring and maybe this fall. And what kind of role? Who knows? But getting a former NFL coach of the year in your program and being around your program is, would, would be pretty nice coup for, for Luke Fickle and company. Absolutely. Have no idea what any of this means, but obviously <laughs> Fickle and Vrabel, great friends, college roommates, much has been written and talked about those two. Vrabel was the Titans coach for the last six seasons, and Fickle said that he talked to Vrabel on Saturday. Uh, he said they hadn't communicated in about a week or so just because the process was going, is how Fickle put it, which I assume meaning because Vrabel had been linked to other NFL job openings. And what Fickle said was, I know that we're going to have a visitor here that's going to spend a little bit of time, hopefully around us in the spring. And he said, see how deep we can get involved with my buddy and get him around here. So don't know what that role means, but even having somebody on campus who can be around this team, who fickle and the staff can, can pick his brain. who's extremely knowledgeable and a good coach, nice little feather in the cap. But again, <laughs> I don't want to get too like, uh, overstate what this means because we don't really know and it's not like he's a full-time coach but no. still not not very many uh guys coming off an nfl head coaching job just roll up into madison so that's why it's noteworthy it is it's noteworthy um the other thing that's noteworthy is your article from yesterday an article that you've been working on had been working on for for quite some time an interesting one that i think uh, i know that you were excited about and i was excited to to see how it played out uh last summer First, was it the first two weekends in June of 2023? Is that right? That is correct. Um, Wisconsin had official visits and had some guys on campus. And those are like when you can really throw everything you got at a guy to try and get them to commit. And Wisconsin did that. And I know that you had put in requests to see like what kind of money was spent. You did, you did this a long time ago. And uh, just recently, in the last month or so, got some of that information back and were able to break it down and show exactly what was spent over those two weekends. And it was a lot of money. It was a lot of, I mean, the, the numbers are, are eye-popping, whether it was for laser tag or whether it was for whatever it was. But when I ask you, and you know, again, you've poured over these numbers over the last month, when you look at the numbers that ha have stood out, and maybe if you can give us a little background on how you all went about this, but the number that really sticks out for you when you when you keep on going through them. Yeah, well, I'll start by plugging the story and encouraging anyone listening to subscribe to The Athletic to check out this story and, and then future Badger stories if you don't already. So that's out of the way. But uh, initially, 
it was just an overwhelming amount of PDFs and numbers and receipts that I didn't really know what to do with. And then I, I went through all of them and was able to break them down into meals or hotel expenditures and all that. The biggest number is the total number that uh, all these receipts added up to, which is, and this is according to an open records request that Wisconsin spent more than $319,000 during the first two official visit weekends last June. And that includes everything because obviously the official visits mean you can pay for a prospect and up to two of his family members to come to Madison. So there's flights, there's hotel, there's transportation, food is a big one and various forms of entertainment. I think people look at these numbers probably and they say, (laughs) some might say, well, what's wrong with college athletics? Like that's not what this story was supposed to be. Every school in the country, especially power five level schools are doing this. Some are spending much more. So in some sense, maybe you could say this is a keeping up with the Joneses, but essentially what it is, is giving these guys an opportunity to experience everything they can. It's basically your last big pitch to these recruits, because if you are at the point where they are taking an official visit, they are very high up there on, on your list and obviously on their list too. And most times these kids are making these decisions if not at the end of that visit or during the visit, pretty soon after, because they take their officials in June, they usually want to decide before their senior year of high school. So uh, that's the biggest number that I think stood out. But to me, it's just hilarious because I have receipts for everything. Like, mm. and, and the cool thing was getting a look at the actual itinerary, which they also provided because I, I requested that a breakdown of everything they did from when they arrived Thursday to when they left Sunday where they went, what they did. But like, man, they spent a lot of money on food, like $600 on nothing bunt cakes. Solid place, by the way, off Mineral Point. $545.15 on crumble cookies. And now that's over two weekends. But like, they cookies just... good. We had, yeah. our, we, we had them at our wedding reception. There you go. Um, so it was stuff like that. And looking at how much alcohol people bought when they went to... Uh, like total wine to get liquor for the the family or the get together at the fickle family home on Friday night. So, I mean, there's a lot to this story uh, and it's tough to kind of talk about all of it. But I think just the nitty gritty of what exactly is required to put this together, how much money is spent and what do they spend it on? I mean, my favorite is probably they literally rolled out a 25 foot by four foot red carpet in a tunnel from the south end zone to the field. <laughs> and there were red red velour ropes, six chrome stanchions surrounding the carpet. With delivery and pickup, just to do that, it was $362. Well, wasn't there like $2,000 on laser tag? That's right. A one-hour pop-up rental on the field uh, after dinner for the recruits cost 2000 bucks. So, <laughs> hey, every, everything costs. The food was just a massive expenditure, like... It's ridiculous. Um, And we also have a breakdown of every item that was ordered and what its cost was for the first Friday night catered dinner at Luke Fickle's house. So look, you're going to bring that many people to campus. It's going to cost a lot, but seeing what they spent it on and how much it's uh, it's eye opening, but it's just sort of fun. Were there some drink orders as well when they went out to dinner? Yeah. Another one of my favorites here. Um, Now they spent about $1,200 at total wine on uh, alcohol for that Friday night party at the fickle house. But the one, so then Saturday night they had a massive dinner. So the, the recruits weren't there because they did a hibachi dinner that was catered at the 
football stadium, but the parents of the recruits and the coaches and their spouses went to rare steakhouse, a personal favorite of mine, if you can swing it every now and again, but they spent on the first Friday, on the first Saturday of official visit weekend, they spent $9,744 and 75 cents on food, but then they ran up an additional beverage tab of more than $2,000. And so, yeah, it lists everything like the, the most popular drink for that night, 20 orders of the watermelon smash mojito, 14 thing, 14 summer flings. I don't even know what that is. And then 10 smoked old fashions. And fortunately, I was able, I should also say, to talk to some of the parents who were there as well as recruits. And uh, so Mark Mattire came in clutch. Mabry's dad was telling me all about this. And he said that the smoked old fashioned was a huge hit with the parents. They were taking photos on their phones. And I looked it up on their website. It came in a glass box that released the smoke when you opened it. So um, it just sounded like a, a great weekend party and a great way to showcase your university, even though it happened to cost more than $319,000. And for anybody that's wondering, where does that money come from? Well, it comes from UW's athletics department. So it's like it's self-sustaining. I mean, they have even in the kind of the spreadsheet, the payments went through three areas, UW expenses, UW foundation expenses, and then something called special account expenses. So, I mean, these athletic departments, they make a lot of money and they spend a lot of money, but that's how they operate. They do. And like the self, I know that there were some questions about self-sustaining Wisconsin is all is fully so like any money that that comes or I say any money that's spent is money that has come in and it's not coming from student fees it's not coming from the school giving it to you Wisconsin has in the past actually been the one giving money back to the school um here in these last four or five years like in the millions of dollars giving money back to, the, to help the school out so usually in, in a lot of places and I shouldn't say in a lot of places but there are some places where student fees help pay for this and the the school subsidizes some of it that's not the case uh, at Wisconsin the, the most important thing Jesse did this work yes <laughs> thank you for asking Zach because I kind of buried the lead there uh, which I I fortunately didn't bury the lead in the actual story because that would have sucked um <laughs> yeah so like that first weekend, for example, they brought 16 recruits on here for an official visit. Ten of those guys were not committed at the time. Well, six ended up committing to Wisconsin either during the visit or soon after and then signing with the program. Two of them, Kevin Haywood and Ryan Corey, committed while they were on a pontoon pontoon boat on Lake Mendota. And uh, they asked Luke Fickle and Jack Bicknell Jr. to jump in the lake and they would commit. And so they jumped in. Defensive lineman Hank Weber committed at the end of that visit. But in total... 13 of Wisconsin's 22 signees in the 2024 recruiting class committed to the Badgers around last June's official visits. And that's a big reason why Wisconsin ranks number 23 in the 24-7 sports composite team rankings for the 2024 class, which is the second highest mark in the internet recruiting rankings era. So you can poo-poo some of the details and, and what is spent. Ultimately, however, it did work, at least in year one. It did work. It did work. That's the point. A lot of money, but it did work for what Wisconsin wanted to get out of it. And uh, so, yeah, great story. Make sure to check it out uh, on The Athletic. Um, again, we will be back tomorrow, actually. We're going to be back at Monks and Sun Prairie for Temple and Heilprin as normal. And we'll, again, we'll be back next week uh, for another episode of the camp. And obviously, we have the swing. We're, we're back to doing three shows a week as we uh, go through the spring here. And or I say go through the February. And then, obviously, spring ball getting started at some point next month. I think we'll have a little bit more information on that coming soon, um, but fans may have to wait a little bit longer to to see their team on the field. Either way, uh, Jesse, 
Thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Can.